Welcome to Unsanctimonious, the podcast where two irreverent pastors explore the Bible using the Revised Common Lectionary while doing their best to be unsanctimonious. What does that mean? Well, if the word sanctimonious means self-righteous, holier-than-thou, smug, falsely pious, pompous, self-satisfied, or prideful, we want to be the opposite of that. Your hosts are Jonathan Kleinsmith and the Reverend Mark Jardine. And even though we're both pastors, we won't pretend to have it all figured out. Spoiler alert, no pastor, theologian, or Bible scholar actually does. But we do believe that God is revealed in the reading of these holy words, and our hope is that by listening to this podcast, you might have an encounter with God as well. So sit back, relax, and let's dive into the world's all-time best-selling book and see how it might be speaking to us today. Hello and welcome to Unsanctimonious, the podcast where two, I don't know, above average pastors, probably, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> depends on who you ask. Uh, we go through the Bible, uh, you know, using the Revised Common Lectionary, and we, we try to pull out a passage e- each week, and we ask it four questions. But before I get to those questions, let me introduce my co-host. Mark Jardine, Reverend and Pastor. How is it going, Mark? It's going well. It's good to be back with you all. And, you know, average uh, average may be okay someday. So uh, right. don't, don't press your luck too much. Yeah, I, I, I'll I, be honest. Probably strive. For, I probably strive for average um, <laughs> at least half the time. So uh, big news in the NBA. Uh, obviously, a lot of trades going on. Uh, just out of curiosity, if you could trade any associate pastors from our church to any other church, which one would you? Uh, never mind. <laughs> there's only one. So, <laughs> there's you know, only there's only one eligible. You don't no, get any. You don't get no any good, first round picks for him. <laughs> I don't. There's no good answer here, so I'm, I'm just going to say uh, I'll take the Fifth Amendment, and we'll just go down the road. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, uh, our scripture today is Isaiah chapter 64, uh, verses 1 through 9. And we are going to be asking that scripture the same questions we ask every scripture we encounter on this podcast, which are these four questions. Uh, The first question is, what's the ancient problem that this scripture is trying to address? The second question is, what is the ancient problem? Uh, solution that this uh, scripture offers us. The third question is, uh, what modern problems might this scripture be addressing today? And the fourth question is, what modern solutions might be this scripture offering us? So without further ado, let us read Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. We use the Common English Bible because it is an easy to uh, read and understand translation, but Again, we will say it, uh, it sounds like a broken record, but the best scripture to read, uh, the best translation of the Bible to read is the one that you'll actually read, right? And so uh, as long as you're picking it up and you're understanding it, go for any translation. So here we go. Isaiah 64, one through nine. If only you would tear open the heavens and come down. Mountains would quake before you like fire igniting brushwood. Or making water boil. If you would make your name known to your enemies, the nations would tremble in your presence. When you accomplished wonders beyond all our expectations, when you came down, mountains quaked before you. From ancient times, no one has heard, no one has perceived, no eye has seen any God but you. Who acts on behalf of those who wait for him? 
You look after those who gladly do right. They will praise you for your ways. But you were angry when we sinned. You hid yourself when we did wrong. We have all become like the unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a minstrel rag. All of us wither like a leaf. Our sins like the wind carry us away. No one calls on your name. No one bothers to hold on to you. For you have hidden yourself from us and have handed us over to our sin. But now, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. All of us are the work of your hand. Don't range so... Don't rage so fiercely, Lord. Don't hold our sins against us forever, but gaze now on your people, all of us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right. Uh, Mark, a lot to unpack there. Uh, and as usual, you get the first question. Uh, so what would this, uh, what is the problem that the scripture is trying to address? I think... Uh, well, this scripture is a part of a bigger piece, of course, that goes back to 63, and it's really a, uh, it's a, it's a poem or a prayer uh, of lament is a lot of what's going on here. Uh, right. uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure we can place it in the exact historical con, uh, you know, the exact historical moment when it was written, but uh, it, it's obviously a time when the people of Israel were far away from God. They felt abandoned. They felt distant from God because right. they had done some uh, bad things and uh, they had sinned. And so this may be a time period around when, you know, the, the temple had been destroyed. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Isaiah is big on talking about if you read all of Isaiah, the prophet, uh, you read all the book of Isaiah, you'll discover he's big on the re restoration of the temple and the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, a lot of his stuff comes, a lot of his writings come from that period when there was no temple. But he's really not, you know, it's really about this, this far off abandonment, this distance. It's, it's about, uh, about their brokenness and sinfulness that has separated them from God. And, uh, you know, it, it starts out, you know, it's pretty obvious. I mean, if only you would tear open the heavens and come down, I mean, come, come, come help us. I mean, we, we are lost. We are distant. Uh, you're in the heavens and we're down here. Uh, and then, you know, it's of course this imagery of the mountains quaking and fire and water boiling, uh, you know, um, so we're, as we read through this, uh, you know, you're angry, uh, you know, we get to verse five, the second half of verse five, but you were angry when we sinned and you hid yourself when we did wrong, uh, you know, and we all have been like the unclean. Right. And of course you can take the unclean and you think about the day and time, the unclean by and large in many ways were certainly the ritually unclean of the Jewish, uh, you know, the Jewish faith, but also we move forward a little bit, you know, we're talking about lepers were always identified as the unclean. Right. And if you understand anything about lepers, the leopards in that time, they, they lived in separate colonies from the rest of the population. So they were separated off. And so there's this great sense, I think, in this passage of uh, there being this great separation uh, from God and because of their uncleanliness. And uh, so I, I think I think it's the, the problem of the day was they, they just felt very abandoned. Uh, you know, we uh, uh, 
no one calls on your name, no brothers to hold you, no, no one bothers to hold on to you for you are hidden yourself from us. He says that twice in here. He talks about the hidden nature of God right. and, uh, and handed us over to our sin. Yeah. You know, it's almost like they feel there's this feeling that, that God just given up on them. Basically, you know, you just sort yeah. of washed your hands and handed us over to our sin. And, uh, so there's, uh, there's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt in here. And uh, so, so I guess I would say the ancient problem was, uh, maybe in a nutshell, is their sinfulness has created this tremendous separation from God that they feel. Right. Yeah. Like uh, you can't look at the scripture and uh, not sort of get the sense that um, there's maybe a, a word that kind of, uh, you know, I guess that the religious word would be repentance is, mm. is sort of. Um, is, is sort of echoing around, but, but in human terms, right. Remorse is, uh, is sort of a way to think about it, right. They, they have clearly sinned against God. And um, I think it's, uh, it's interesting what the passage says, right. It doesn't, uh, uh, of course I minimized the window where I had it open, but uh, the, the passage talks about, um, you know, you've, you've let us, basically God has let them face the consequences for their sin. It's not saying mm -hmm. God is just cruel or unjust or anything like that. Like the, the, the writer of this passage, uh, Isaiah, right. Understands that everything that's happening to Israel, everything that God's people are going through is their own fault. And, and uh, I think that, uh, you know, there's that sense of lament, right. That, that remorse, like God, why did we ever turn away from you? Why did we ever do the things that you, you did not find pleasing, right? Um, and uh, so, yeah, you really can't read this passage and not sort of get that sense of remorse. Like, um, you know, we we tried living our own way. We tried doing things our way. We tried we tried to be our own people. Um, without you, God, and it caught up to us. And instead of doing good, instead of our life um, reflecting goodness, we were overwhelmed by our own sin. We were overwhelmed by our propensity to do evil. And now, it, it, instead of bringing us life, it has cost us everything. So... Yeah, I think it's... Uh, you're right. It, it's not... This is not God pronouncing some uh, hellfire and brimstone damnation on them. Right. Uh, they, and I, I think it, it's a mature faith that can claim, they can lay claim to uh, the fact that they have sinned and brought these consequences on themselves as opposed to trying to blame it on someone else. Right. And uh, so, you know, there's, there's a sense of at least some maturity in this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's not like blaming God for doing this to me or blaming, you know, whatever it's, it's, this, this is, this is mine. I did it to myself and, uh, we are, we did as a collective, uh, body of the, the nation of Israel. And, uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's a hard read, uh, in the way that, uh, it's hard to see uh, the amount of pain that's reflected here and the amount of separation and the amount of hurt and to, uh, uh you know, I, I keep coming back to that line. We have become like the unclean. Yeah. 
You know, we have become, we were the chosen people and now we become like the unclean, which mm -hmm. would have been the people that were not the chosen people of the day and time. Right. And, and the people that couldn't have uh, gone into the, uh, the temple, couldn't have gone mm -hmm. into the, the Holy of Holies. Like the, they basically, it's a, it's a, it's a euphemism for saying like that not only were they impure by God's standards, but they were so impure, they couldn't even approach God. They couldn't be in God's, right. God's presence at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, that, that the, the distance, uh, the separation is just, uh, it is that huge separation. Of course, we're approaching the end of the old Testament in, you know, we're reading Isaiah. And so we're approaching the end of our, if you, if you think of the history of the Jewish people, the Hebrew people and their relationship with God, we're, we're sort of narrowing down to that remnant, if you will, mm -hmm. of the faithful. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's, it's become very small, the faithful have. And so the, uh, so at this point it looks very dark and very gray and very, uh, you know, just, just like a very hard place for them to be these chosen people that have made these choices uh, that have put them in this place. Yeah. Well, so we know the rest of uh, the book of Isaiah. Um, you know, some, some scholars think that there are two Isaiahs and some scholars think there might be three Isaiahs, right? right. Like, uh, and so these books may have covered different periods of time, but uh, even if that's not true, even if there's one Isaiah, it's talking about this whole arc of history, right? So we know in 722 BCE, the Northern kingdom of Israel is wiped out by the Assyrians uh, because of their unfaithfulness. And we know that the Southern kingdom of Judah in 587 is wiped out by the Babylonians and only a remnant remains, right? Um, and so uh, this, just think about how, like we used the word apocalypse last week to sort of talk right. about what an apocalypse really is, which is this uh, revelation of what God um, is doing, right? Um, but imagine how apocalyptic, like in the traditional sense of the word in the United States, anyways, uh, you know, we're, we're, when we talk about apocalypses, we're, we're thinking Armageddon, we're thinking uh, left behind books, right? right. We're, we're thinking, um, you know, all sorts of different sort of pop culture ideas about what the, uh, the Armageddon the, the apocalypse, like those kinds of things look like. We think of like a Mad Max movie, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, you've got uh, you've got Mel Gibson in a leather jacket and uh, really fast cars and no government, no structure. Like Which every was staged in 2021 for the record, but anyway. Oh, hey, the, way to drop that nugget of hope. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not going to the modern problem yet. I just want to give you that though. So, uh, but, but no, no, that's like, so that's what these people are going like. They, it's like literally walking around that fiery wasteland, like uh, because their cities have been destroyed. Their, right. their entire society is hanging on by this very loose thread. Mm -hmm. And there's a realization if we don't come back to God now, we will not survive as a people, mm -hmm. which I guess is a nice segue yes. uh, to, to the ancient solution. And I, I think, you know, uh, you know, the, the ancient solution uh, is probably as we move on to verse eight, it's interesting in verse eight, the, the language of calling God father. Mm -hmm. And now, Lord, you are our you are our Father, and and that language is suddenly we've gone from this distant, far off God 
to now we realize this it's it's like a there's been it's like a major tone shift here to this intimate fatherly relationship yeah and then even to the point of then you know you are the clay uh, we are the clay you are the potter all of us are the work of your hands in other words we're going to you know if you think about working clay uh which i've done a little bit of but not a lot right you know the clay yields to what uh the hands make it into right and so you know it's like it's like they've got to repent they got to yield to god uh for the solution and they have to allow themselves to be back in this relationship where they understand that god is the father god is the author the finisher the maker the creator uh, of of their lives and allow god to rebuild and remake their lives because they can't do it they it's like coming to the realization through all this that we have sinned we've tried to do it all on our own do it our way uh, we become unclean we become distant separated and in the end we realize that we can't fix it ourselves right that we have to have you god uh intervene and we have to allow ourselves to allow you to intervene and let you work us like working clay like a potter works the clay like a father loves a child and uh you know uh so the solution i guess is this idea of redemption mm-hmm. or being redeemed uh which you know the potter redeems the clay and makes it into a beautiful form uh and uh it's repentance that leads to redemption and it's uh, to return to seeking justice and salvation uh, that is beyond our ability to fully do only God can do that in us and through us. Yeah. And so, uh, so I, I think for Israel, for Isaiah, for the people of that day and time, uh, it was very much a yielding to God and acknowledging and accepting who God is as our father, as that one who is our creator and can remake and make and redeem us and only god can redeem us redeem those people yeah and that's kind of a you know a radical concept in some ways like when we think of religion and we think of the idea of uh repentance you know sometimes it's just like a we expect it to be sort of like a well i'm sorry god uh don't uh, you know please don't count this against me uh you know uh, let's not let's not make this a thing. And so I'm sorry, and you have to forgive me, right? Uh, but this Potter and clay um, idea, um, and, and in the New Testament, they you know pa- the Apostle Paul elaborates on it, right? Multiple times, he's you know I think of Romans chapter 12, right? Um, uh, you know uh, that uh, we are supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? Like there's right. this idea of transformation. Galatians, we are a new creation. If if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Right? The old is gone, the new has come. Like transformation is a part of this process. Like we're not we are not just um, saved so that we can say, "Hey, I'm saved," and uh, we can still live as the sinners that we were before. But instead. Um, like a potter molding and shaping clay into the image that the potter wants, um, that that makes the the clay itself the most useful. Um, we are to be shaped and transformed by God. Like we we have to allow this process to happen, um, and we have to be drawn to God to do it. Obviously, but 
But once we are at that point, like our cooperation with this transformation is important. And you almost can't really say you're following God if you're not expecting some sort of transformation to happen in your, your own life. And, uh, and these guys basically are at rock bottom and they're saying, Lord, we're just lumps of clay and we get it. And we, we don't want to be that way anymore. So form us into something new. Right. Yeah. They're, they're at rock bottom. That's a good term for where this, the language, the feel of this whole passage is. And, uh, and, you know, probably they had to get to rock bottom to be able to experience the redemption that was going to come their way. And you know, one of the things I find interesting about this passage is uh, where it falls in the lectionary. Uh, uh-huh. because of course, we are now, uh, if you're listening, uh, we are in the week that precedes the first Sunday of Advent. Right. The time when we're preparing for the redeeming act of Christ in our lives to be this, this child will be born. It'll be the redeemer of the world. And right. so this passage, of course, has been selected, I think, a long time ago when they developed the common lectionary uh, as the Old Testament lesson that, that leads into the advent of Christ into the world as the Redeemer. Right. And the Messiah, the long-expected Messiah. And uh, anyway, so... Uh, but as far as an ancient problem, an ancient solution, I think I think they're waiting for a re- having to yield to the redemptive power of God. Right. And then we take it into the New Testament, of course, we talk and the redemption comes through Christ. But uh, at this point, they're waiting on that Redeemer, that Messiah, the redemptive power of the Lord, uh, who is a father. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I guess if you're, if you're looking for like takeaways, like actions that you can take, repent, right? And, right. and return to God and to repent, as we know, uh, you know, uh, the, the Greek word, the sense of it is literally to completely turn around and go another direction, right. um, which brings us to modern times, right? Uh, nobody that I know in modern times is in need of repentance or transformation or so we can probably just skip past the modern problem today, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's good. Let's just go right past that. Like, yeah, no one, no one. No, no one. and I, I think you know, I, we, we're we're a little tongue in cheek on that, obviously, um, because I think it's obvious to anybody that's paying attention in our world that there are people that feel like they're at rock bottom. There, there, there are. Um, a lot of us that are just crying out to God that they want, you know, that, that first couple of lines, we want to see your, your glory come down and, you know, shake the mountains, that kind of like idea, like, wouldn't it be so much easier for us if we could see God, you right. know, and what God's doing. Um, and so, yeah, there's that same general sense of, of sort of dread. Now, obviously, um, you know, for the ancient Israelites and the ancient Judahites, they, they experienced real, like a real apocalyptic, like doom type of moment. A lot of us, we, we were probably experiencing unease or tension, but for some of us out there that are listening to this, for sure, you're experiencing a sort of apocalyptic moment too. Um, but I think a lot of us, um, you know, uh, when, when I, when I said that joke about none of us needing to repent, or I think there are a lot of us that we delude ourselves into thinking 
that that's where we're at, right? Like that all the problems I see in the world are other people's problems. And, and if they just did what I did, or if they were just like me, then we wouldn't have any of these problems. Right. Yeah. I think, I think, um, we have a great uh, capacity to delude ourselves in this disillusionment of how good we are. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, I know when I was a kid, uh, uh, but anyway, it was after Isaiah wrote these words, by the way, but uh, <laughs> just, just by a couple of years, just a couple of years. But, you know, one of the things uh, that I would always argue with my dad or my mother when I'd done something bad, well, I could have done what so-and-so did. It was a lot worse, you know, right. Right. I'm really a good kid compared to that one. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, we always had one that was worse where we could, you know, we thought or we could pretend yeah and, yeah you know so i i think i think for us is it that i think it's hard for us in some ways because we always can talk about someone being worse than us or some people being worse or a worse time than our time as far as being away from god and being sinful uh and maybe it's because we haven't hit rock bottom or we've deluded ourselves into believing we haven't hit rock bottom yet and because uh, that hitting rock bottom takes also takes some honesty in the process about who we are and about what's going on. And, uh, you know, we, we live in a cultural attitude, especially perhaps in middle, middle America, middle class America of, of that we can make it work, uh, you know, that we can, uh, you know, that we can, we can be good of our own accord. Right. And uh, we can merit favor of our own accord. And uh, so, so I think, you know, this passage certainly has great application for our modern problem. But I don't know that we, part of our modern problem is that we don't even own the modern problem that this passage addresses sometimes. If yeah. That makes sense. No, 100%. Uh, and, you know, I, uh, I, I think a good example of this comes from, you know, marriage or fatherhood or, you know, parenthood in, in general, right? Like, um, it'd be so easy to say, well, I don't hit my kids, so I guess I'm a good dad. <laughs> or, right. you know, I don't scream at my wife, so I guess I, I'm a good husband. But in terms of it being a good relationship, just because I don't do the most awful flagrant thing doesn't mean I'm being a good husband or a good father, right? Like, right. Um, because there, there's a lot of like care and attention and uh, multifaceted layers that come with, with really investing in those people that I love's lives. Um, it's not just a, well, I, you know, I guess you're not actively harming them, uh, <laughs> that we're, we're, we're actually called to more than that. And I think we do the same thing with people, right? I compare, I compare myself to the worst people because it mm. makes me feel good about myself, sure. right? And yeah. I and I have this other thing too. I have this tendency to judge other people by their actions, while I always judge myself by my intentions, right? right? Like you, right. you don't know what I was trying to do or what I meant to do, um, but uh, at the same time, all oh, those people are awful. Did you see what they did? Yeah, I, I think you know. I, I was coming back to an image of you know, our sinful nature is like a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. And we may be sliding down the slope, and most of us are further down the slope than we want to admit most days, uh, right. including myself. 
and not uh, you mark yeah me me you're baby. a pastor yeah well <laughs> well let's not get too carried away pastors are human and we right. just have a calling on our lives by god that's a little different that is different right right we're still we still have feet of clay believe you me and uh so anyway but you know the thing is is that that we sort of delude ourselves because we call ourselves pastor or whatever and right. uh we don't realize we're even down the slope we're down the slope of till we're way down the slope uh, right that's a lot of slopage in there but anyway There's a lot of slopage but <laughs> so so i think i think you know coming to terms with who we are uh is probably uh one of the things that we have to get to somewhere in this life mm-hmm. uh to really own who we are uh before we can even get to the modern solution, we have to own that we have a problem. Yeah. And we don't just don't, we own a problem individually. Yes, we're all sinful. We're all broken. And yes, we truly are. Sometimes we're like the unclean. Uh, We've separated ourselves that much by our behaviors and our attitudes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, and we do that not just, and that's just not an individual thing. That's a, that's a, that's a, cultural thing as well uh right you know, talk about our country we can talk about countries around the world uh that we as a people uh are far away from this god uh, the one we call god most much of the time yeah and it's uh, because of uh the fact that we have decided that somehow we have all the answers and uh, we live in this disillusionment about even who we are as a people, let alone who we are as individuals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can't, it's, it's like, it's like Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or any sort of 12 step program, like living the Christian life, uh, living the life that, of, that pleases God. It sort of always has to start with this, the, the same first step admitting that you have a problem. And, um, you know, I would, I would, I think one of the big criticisms against church people that you hear from people that are outside of the church is, um, that we don't look a lot like Jesus, right. (laughs) That, uh, we like to accuse other people of sin and like, we don't have any, and while at the same time acting like we, we have none. And, and unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately in a way, but um, it, it's not that hard to tell that we're not living according to those precepts when we, when we're judging and when we're, we're living out that life. Uh, we can't, we can only like the, you know, like the ancient Israelites, we can only pretend like we're doing fine for so long until the Assyrians show up at the gate or the Babylonians show up at the gate and our sin, right. our sin comes back, um, to show us its, uh, ugly face. So, that also, you know, leads us to this uh, this modern solution thing, and I think you've mm-hmm. sort of you sort of started with the the the, the uh, realization that we need to admit that there's a problem, and once we've done that, Mark, once we've realized who we are and and how far we've fallen, what's after that? Well, yeah, I think you know it's uh, it's um, I was thinking your allusion to the Alcoholics Anonymous and twelve step program is like. One of the steps there early on, uh, I think step two or step three, is that you have to do a fearless inventory. Ooh, yeah. Of who you are. Yeah. And I think that's part of 
what's going for in the ancient times. There, this is a fearless inventory of who we are and how how far we've gone astray. Right. And I think individually in this process, part of the modern solution is that we have to be willing to sit down and take a fearless inventory of who we are and what we've become and what we're doing. Right. And you know, and I'm going to plug Advent here again, okay? But Advent's <laughs> a time of preparation, so so it's a good time for us to do that sort of work. Because right. once we do the fearless inventory, we yield to the higher power, and higher power, of course, is God, yeah. and that is that we 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 come to this point, and we say, okay, Father, this is who I am, by my making. Now, God, can you help me? Can you remake me mm. and guide me into the life you've called me to be, that you created me to be in your image? Uh, and, and, you know, that, that, that's the act of redemption uh, that comes from God through Jesus Christ, who we celebrate on in Christmas Day, of course. Uh, but I think, I think that's part of this journey is uh, to get to, the, to our hope uh, uh, you know, or the solution, if you will, is to take that inventory individually and maybe even corporately own that and then yield to the power that can actually reshape us and remake us individually and corporately. And, uh, and that's not easy stuff. Uh, that that's hard stuff. Cause then, you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like digging in the goop and the mire uh, down, you don't know if you've ever cleaned up leaves that have been in a gutter a long time. <laughs> yeah, rotten yeah. Uh, when you get down to that fearless inventory point, you're pulling the gutter, the grunge out of the gutter sort of stuff. And uh, But the good news is once you do that, the water, if you will, uh, when it comes into the gutter, uh, flows freely through that gutter again anew. And uh, to me, if it's an analogy, gosh, I've gone to an analogy here. All oh, stuff. no. Yeah, not an yeah. analogy. Jesus, yeah, yeah. Jesus <laughs> never, never used anything like that. I know. And we preachers, we can find them anything, I think. But anyway, <laughs> sorry about that if this is offensive to anyone. But anyway, but I think, I think the water flows is sort of like the spirit and God and the redemptive power lies and flowing through us now that we've done this hard work of uh, making a way, if you will, by cleaning out the gutters and the you know, all that stuff that's mm. just sat there. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. I don't know. No, I, I, <laughs> I think that's it. I think you're, you're on, I think you're, you're, you know, you're on the right track, like, and, um, and that sort of brings us back to sort of the hope, like the, you know, using the $5 church word eschatology is a study of the end times. Right. Uh, when we talk, when we say the word eschatological hope, what we're saying is that we've got this hope that, um, you know, Isaiah, Isaiah began the passage talking about, right? Like, oh, to see God come down. Well, we know as, as those who follow him that that day is coming, right? That this eschatological hope will not end in disappointment for us um, that, that choose to follow the way of Jesus. But in the meantime, we are clay that needs to be molded. We are people that need to be transformed. And we live in a world that needs to experience the transformation, right? We live in a place where the hurting and the broken and the lost need to be reconciled to God. The kingdom needs to be built. And um, 
we have to enter into that transformation. We need to say, God, I'm part of the problem. We need to say, God, transform me and mold me and use me. And, uh, and, and only then, right. When we're, when we are um, actively participating in building the kingdom uh, here and now, like, will we ever see the real fruits of the kingdom when it comes to fruition? Right. 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 You know, I, I think of that old hymn, uh, here comes a song uh, for you. <laughs> uh, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus love and righteousness. Mm. And, you know, when we come to the end of this, we see that, uh, you know, we have to take an inventory of who we are to realize that really that is our hope. Right. We, we cannot, we cannot fix it ourselves, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, so, yeah, so that's, that's where our hope is. That's where the solution is, is in Jesus love and righteousness working through our lives as we open ourselves to that. Right. And, uh, we do the hard work of preparing ourselves for that to flow through us. Mm. And that seems like a pretty good place. Well, I was going to say to stop, but it's actually a pretty good place for us to start. So we'll stop the podcast right there, but maybe um, if you're hearing this, you can start to live into that redemption, into that transformation and, and know that that comes from putting your trust in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. So um, we love you guys. We hope that you are growing as you listen to this podcast, as you engage with scripture, as you uh, study God's word. We have a website, unsanctimonious.com, where you can find uh, lectionary readings each week. Um, so you can read a passage or two of scripture each day so that God can speak directly into your life uh, through those scriptures. Um, we have other resources there as well that you can check out. Um, and also, if you're listening to this, uh, we have listeners now from parts of the world that we would not have even expected. So um, every time you share this podcast on social media someplace or you go to iTunes and give us a rating and a review, it helps other people to find the podcast, which um, is it doesn't just go to stoke um pastor mark and i's egos but it's actually uh it's actually a good way for other people to discover the podcast and hopefully have those same sort of life-giving um, encounters with god's word that hopefully you are having so um, please do that go to itunes or apple podcasts and give us a rating share this uh podcast and uh most importantly um, know that God loves you very much and that God um, desires for you to be transformed into the person, uh, the, the person who represents the, the most uh, potential that you could possibly be, which is to be molded into the image of Christ and to, to be a person that brings about the transformation of this world. So all that being said, Pastor Mark, do you have any uh, words of wisdom to leave us with today? Oh, gosh, words of wisdom, such pressure. Uh, <laughs> I would just say, uh, just know that, that God loves you and God longs for you to be in an uh, intimate relationship with him. Mm. And that's what he did in Jesus Christ. And that's what he does for you every day. So, you know, just own what your stuff is and let God do something with you that will be absolutely beautiful. That's where I'd leave it. Yeah. Amen and amen. We will see you next time, guys. God bless you. God bless you all.